Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you something, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. But uh, at this very, I think it's at this very moment, a friend of mine, Chris Flowers, is uh, preaching his second message at his home church. And uh, for some of us, Chris is a part of our home group, and uh, so I would just like to pray for him in just a moment as I pray for myself. But uh, we're going we're gonna to pray and just ask God to use Chris. I've been encouraging him. I'm saying, hey, look, know the mission. When you go up there to speak, you've got one mission, and that is to make disciples. That is to encourage the, the family of God to walk in faith. And so I want to pray that for myself. I want to pray that for Chris. So would you join me as we pray? Okay. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity to in freedom open the Bible, Lord, and open the Bible and be encouraged by it. And so I pray that, Lord, you would uh, use me. I pray that I would uh, be clear that the things I say would be compelling, not because they're compelling because I'm saying them, but they're compelling because they're what you say to us. So, Lord, would you give us ears to hear? We remember Jesus, how he so often said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, Father, help us to have ears. Help us not to be thinking about anything else but what you want to say to us now. So I pray that for myself. I pray that for Chris as he preaches at Abundant Life. Lord, would you use Chris to encourage the brothers and sisters in that church family in the same way I'm praying that you will encourage us now through the word. So we commit this time to you and we ask Holy Spirit for you to be our helper, actually for you to be the true teacher to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought I'd start with a little history lesson for fun this morning, just a little bit about New Year's Day. And we have been celebrating the oldest recollection or the oldest recordings of the celebration of New Year's go back four thousand years, four millennia. And the earliest recordings that we have about celebrating New Year's Day come from the Babylonians. And they celebrated the first moon following the vernal equinox. Well, I had to look up what the vernal equinox was. So some of you probably don't know as well. So let me tell you, the equinox is when we have the exact same amount of time in the day as we do at night. I know some of y'all know that, but I'm not as smart. And so I didn't know that. So I looked it up. So the equinox happens twice. It happens in the fall. It happens in the spring when we have the equal amount of time and uh, day and night. And so they would celebrate. The Babylonians said, well, the, the New Year's is the first uh, moon after the vernal equinox. Now, throughout antiquity, you know, civilizations have developed sophisticated calendars in which they celebrate the New Year's. And typically, those calendars were built around an, ac- uh, uh, an agricultural thing or an astronomical event. For instance, in Egypt, they celebrated the first day of the year beginning with the annual flooding of the Nile, which coincided with the rising of the star Sirius. The first day of the Chinese New Year is the second moon after the winter solstice, which is the shortest day of of the year. And Abby, where are you? I've seen you. I think the Chinese still celebrate that as their New Year's because when, when Steve and I were in China, that's when New Year's took place. So I think they still celebrate it that way. The early Roman calendar from which we get our calendars today, you know, uh, they started off with 10 months and only 304 days. Uh, it was supposedly created by Romulus, the founder of Rome, and, and not the guy in Star Trek, okay? But But anyway, Romulus, the founder of Rome in the 8th century B.C., and later King Numa. 
Pompilus. Well, he's credited with adding a few more days to make the calendar closer to what we know it today. He added the two months of Januarius and Februarius. And uh, seriously, I'm not making that up. The Roman calendar attempted to follow the lunar cycle, and so it would frequently fall out of uh, fall out of. Uh, correct phases and all. And so Rome developed this group of people who would fix the calendar from time to time to make it work. So they'd add days or take days away from it. Unfortunately, they were always cheating. In other words, they used their position to influence elections by adding days to an elected period or taking them away to try to get their guy elected. Sounds like today, doesn't it? I'm sure we would do the same. Don't we do that with gerrymandering and, and changing the way uh, the, the, uh, the boundaries are of districts? In 46 BC, uh, the emperor Julius Caesar, he solved the problem by getting together the most prominent astronomers and mathematicians of his day, and they developed what, is, what was known as the Julian calendar. And it's served for centuries, for, for probably 15 centuries at least. And uh, he made the first day of the year be January 1st after, after Januarius or Janus, the Roman god uh, of new beginnings. And so the Roman god had two faces, facing one way this way and one way the other. And so Januarius became, or Januarius 1 became the first day of the new year, looking back and looking forward, all right? So the Romans celebrated that new day uh, or that new year with sacrifice to Janus, exchanging gifts with one another, decorating their homes with laurel branches, and having and attending raucous parties. Man, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Shortly before his assassination in 44 BC, he changed the name of the month Quintilus to Julius after himself, from which we get the month of July. His, pred his, his successor changed the month of Sextilis to Augustus after his own name, from which we get the month uh, August. Now, the celebration of New Year's as being January 1st fell out of, fell out of sync throughout the Middle Ages. Now, remember, they, they weren't perfect, and so they hadn't calculated the solar year exactly right. And so every year we were getting 11-minute uh, addition to the calendar. So after the first millennia, the first thousand years, Years, uh, they were uh, seven days out of sync, and by the time they got to the 1500s, they were 10 days out of sync with the cycle. And so the early Christians or the medieval Christians in, in Europe, they decided, well, let's take January 1st, since it wasn't falling exactly right anymore. They made Christmas Day. If they celebrated, you know, there at the... Um, at the winter solstice, they made Christmas Day be the first day of the year. Or if they celebrated at the uh, vernal equinox, they moved it to the Feast of Annunciation, March 25th. Well, obviously, there's a problem in all of this. So the Roman church decided they were going to fix it. So in 1570, Pope Gregory VIII, are y'all finding this interesting? I found it very interesting, okay? And I'm actually going somewhere with it, okay? So... Um, so the Gregory, the Pope at the time, commissioned a Jesuit astronomer by the name of Christopher Clavius to come up with a new calendar. And so in 1582, the Gregorian calendar was implemented. They omitted 10 days from the calendar of that year to get it back right again. And they, they figured out that they needed to add a full day every four years. And so that's where leap year uh, came in. And so ever since then, we have been using the Gregorian calendar. It's stuck. In fact, most countries in the world use the Gregorian calendar today, and January 1st, because of Romulus, and January 1st has, has continued to be 
Um, or maybe it wasn't Romulus, it was the other dude. But anyway, because of him, we celebrate on January 1st the, the celebration of the new year. Now, New Year festivities today begin tonight, actually, on December 31st of, of a given year, and they're going to roll into the new year, which will be tomorrow, January 1st, and common traditions include attending parties, eating special New Year's food, and watching fireworks display, and here in the USA, we do what? If you stay up that late, you watch a stupid glass ball fall down. On top. I've never understood how that became our observance of, of New Year's, but, but it is. But there's another thing that we do at New Year's, and that's what I want to focus on. And here's what we do at New Year's. Every New Year's, it seems, not for everybody, some of you in this room are, you're just adamant you'll never do it. But a lot of us take New Year's as a time to resolve to do some new things, to do some different things. And I think the, the reason for that, even though tomorrow is just another calendar day, it marks the beginning of another revolution of the earth around the sun. And so therefore, it's kind of like a new thing. And so New Year's becomes this time in which we can kind of focus on some new things. Now, if you're our guest, and we have a lot of you this morning, we're really glad you're here. But we've been working through the minor prophets, and I just decided we needed a break from the minor prophets this morning. And so I want to challenge you with, with six commitments from the passage that George read you. Six things that I, I would hope in 2018 you might, if you're going to take notes, if you might just kind of keep these and read over these over the next few days, and you might make a decision, Lord, I really want to implement these things in my life in 2018. I, I really want to make these I want to make these a priority for myself in this new year. So I've got six challenges from, from the passage of Hebrews. Now, before I actually dive into the passage, it begins with therefore. Begins with therefore. Therefore is always looking back and always looking forward. It's basically saying, because of what I've just said, I'm saying this to you. Well, I'm going to look at the forward stuff this morning, all right? I'm going to look at the stuff that looks forward. And I'm going to say, here's what we ought to be doing. But we have to look back and see why it is that we ought to be doing these things. And so let me give you a little bit of context before we actually look at the text we're going to talk about. And the context goes like this. We need to start at the beginning of the letter of Hebrews. The letter of Hebrews is written by a man. We don't know who he was. We don't have his name. Uh, so it's unknown to us. But the letter of Hebrews, we do know this, was written to Christians who were of Jewish origin. They, they were former Jews. They were men and women who were born to the sons of Abraham, and so they had been following Judaism. And so these people who had once followed God through the first covenant have now followed God into the new covenant, and they've left behind the Old Testament, the old covenant. They've left it behind to begin to follow Jesus and to follow the new covenant. But what's happening is, I don't know if it has to do with the length of time that that, that Jesus hasn't returned. I'm not sure what was the cause, but these Jewish believers in Jesus were now considering leaving Jesus and going back to the old covenant that they, which, that they used to worship under. And so the author of Hebrews, from the very beginning of the letter to the end of the letter, is saying this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. The new covenant is better than the old covenant. Here's why. And time after time throughout the book of Hebrews, he compares Jesus to the old covenant and why you need to leave the old covenant and you need to be a part of the new covenant, what God is doing in Christ. Okay, but now the immediate context of chapter 10, let me give you that. The immediate context of the verses we're going to be looking at goes like this. 
Under the old covenant, we did these sacrifices year after year. But those sacrifices never took away our sin. They never, got away, they never did away with our sin. Those Old Testament sacrifices, all they ever did was cover our sin. And so day after day, year after year, we had to sacrifice. But Jesus is different Jesus comes along and he sacrifices himself. And the author of Hebrews says this, Jesus did it once and for all. It doesn't have to be done over and over and over again because Jesus didn't go into, and let me give you a little bit of more context, in the Jewish faith, once a year they would go into, this, into the temple and into this inner part of the temple, which is called the Holy of Holies. They'd take the blood of that animal and they would sprinkle that literal Holy of Holies altar. The author of Hebrews says that's not what Jesus did. Jesus took his own blood, went into the presence of God himself and sprinkled God's throne with his own blood and said, that's done. No more do you need to do that anymore. So the author of Hebrews is saying Jesus did it once and for all. He sat down. There's no more need for sacrifice. Where the Old Testament didn't perfect us, only covered us, Jesus perfects us. He writes his law in our heart. He remembers our sin no more. No more sacrifice is needed. So in light of that, the author of Hebrews says, here's six things that I challenge you to do. Number one, draw near. Verse 19, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Here's what he's saying. Brothers and Sisters, because of what Christ has done, draw near to God. Draw near to God with confidence. Now notice this, the confidence by which we draw near to God isn't in ourselves. I don't draw near to God because I'm so good. You don't draw near to God because you've got it all right. You draw near to God because Jesus has done something for you that enables you to draw near to God with confidence. And here's what he says, he went through the curtain. You may not know what that's talking about, so let me tell you. Remember what I was just describing a minute ago? The, the temple and then the holy, holy of holy places? Well, in front of the holy of holy places was a place called, it was the holy place. And, and in the temple, it was divided by this large curtain. And when Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that the Bible tells us that God did was he took the curtain between the Holy of Holies and he ripped it in half and he opened it. And you need to realize no Jew ever went into the presence of God through that curtain. Only the high priest would go in there, and he'd only go in there once a year. Here's what God was saying. It's no longer going to be through the Old Testament sacrificial system. I'm ripping the curtain open so that you can all go in. You can draw near to me with confidence because of what Christ has done. Not because of what you've done, but because of what your Savior did. And he did it through his body, through his death. He opened the way for us to be able to go into that place. And so, and so the author of Hebrews says, our faith brings us a our faith in what Jesus did, it brings us assurance that we have the right to go and approach God and draw near to him. Our faith brings cleansing, the author says. He says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. You see, our faith in Christ gives us full assurance before God, but it also gives us this. It gives us a clean heart. I'm clean. You are clean. Now, I don't know about you, but man, I've got sin in my life from this week. Some of you do as well. 
But you know, we're clean by the blood of Christ. No, I'm not minimizing our sin. I'm not, I'm not saying that we don't need to deal with that. But I'm telling you, Christ has sprinkled our guilty conscience clean. And then the author says, and having our bodies washed with pure water. I, I think he's referencing baptism there. Not that baptism cleanses us, but that our faith, which leads us to follow Jesus in baptism, is a representation that God has cleansed us. Our, our inner being and our outer being, you know, the, the, the who we are, inside and out, Jesus has cleansed us by what Jesus did. God has cleansed us by what Jesus did. And so here's what the author says, draw near to God, draw near. So I asked myself this question. I'm challenging you in 2018 to draw near. And I don't know if you noticed, but Jamie and I didn't plan we didn't plan this. We didn't coordinate this together. But you notice how God, I feel like God sort of orchestrated it. I don't know how that works. But well, all the songs were about drawing near. And, and, you know, some of the songs were like this. They were saying, Lord, draw me closer. Lord, you know, you do it. Here's, here's what I want to tell you. God has done everything he needs, everything that is needed for you to draw near to him. He's already made the way through the veil. He's already done it for you. Now it's on you to draw near to him. He invites you to draw near to God, right? He invites you to draw near. And you can do that with confidence. You know, I want to urge you to draw near, but how do you do that? How do you draw near to God? Think about it for a second. How would you draw near to God? Before I answer my own question, let me tell you this. You cannot draw near to me unless I want you to. Right? If I don't let you in, you can't draw near. I mean, you can get in proximity to me. But, but you can't draw near to me, my, my, the person of who I am. You can get near my body and, my, and you can get near me, but, but unless I let you, you're not going to draw near to me. And in the same way, unless, I, unless you let me, I, can get, I can't draw near to you. Here's what I want you to hear. God's already drawn near to you. He's already drawing near. He wants you to draw near. How do you do it? Well, how would you do it in a relationship? How would you draw near to, how do you draw near to your wives, guys? How do you draw near to your husbands or your children? How do you do it? I mean, it's easy, isn't it? You know where I'm going. This is all about relationship. It's all about spending time communicating heart to heart with the one you want to draw near to. That's how you draw near to someone. You open your heart. You communicate with them. You spend time with them. And, and you let them know your, your feelings, your thoughts. And so here's what I'm saying to you. How do you draw near to God? Let, just communicate with God. Spend time with God. Let him talk to him. Talk to him heart to heart. And listen, when you talk to God... You, you don't go with your, listen, talking to God is not going to God with your list, your Santa Claus list. God, I need you to do this. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about where you go to God and you just talk with him and you talk to him about your feelings and you talk to him. Listen, yeah, you talk to him about your feelings. You get feely feely with God. You talk to him about your desires and your heart and all of that. You just be real from the inside to God. That's the kind of relationship God wants with you. So in 2018, I'm challenging you. Draw near to God. It's on you. Draw near to him. He wants you to draw near to him. You remember Bill Hybels? I've shared this for a number of years. But Bill Hybels challenged Willow Creek to have 15 minutes of chair time every day. And I want to re-challenge you with that. Maybe some of you have been doing it and you've let it, you've let it slide. But why not shoot for 15 minutes of chair time with the Lord every day? Where you just sit down and, again, don't go with your grocery list of all the things you need God to do for you. And again, and I'm not saying don't ask God for the things you need and want from him. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying don't let your chair time just be your, your grocery list with Santa Claus. 
You know, you're, you, what, what, you're ta- what we're talking about is you sit down with them and you tell them about how you're hurting and what's going on in your life and your dreams and your desires and, and the things you hope for. I mean, you just talk to them like you're talking to anyone. That's how you draw near to God. Let me move on. Number two, hold on. Verse 23, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Can I tell you this morning that doubt is an experience that's common to all people and it's common to those of us that have faith. I mean, we from time to time struggle with doubts, even those of us who follow and love the Lord Jesus. I, um, I, I have always kind of felt a, an affinity with the man in Mark 9, 24. You remember this story where his son is an epile- not up, the, the demon's been throwing him in the fire and, and, and Jesus says something to him, you know, I can heal your son. Do you believe? And he goes, yes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Can you relate to that? I can relate to that. A working definition of doubt would be to lack confidence in or to consider unlikely. And I want to make a statement. I'm not sure I'm correct, so you can feel free to rebuke me later. But I don't believe that doubt in itself is a sin. But I do believe that doubt is very dangerous because doubt is is like a temptation to sin. Doubt is like is stepping onto the platform where I might sin. And, and, and that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They doubted what led to their sin. So I, I don't necessarily believe that doubt in itself is sin, but, but doubt can lead you to sin, and doubt can lead you to an, a rejection of what you believe. And so here's what I'm saying to you. Hold unswervingly to your faith, and don't let your doubts rip your faith out of your hands. Now, how do you do that? Well, the remedy for doubt is faith, all right? The opposite of doubt would be faith. So the remedy to doubt is faith. So how do you increase your faith? Those of you who know your Bible, the Bible tells us how to deal with doubt and increase our faith. What is it? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, right? So here's how I strengthen my faith and get rid of my doubts, okay? Here's how I do it. I spend time getting to know God's Bible. I spend time getting to know what God says because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Psalm 77 verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles long ago. Here's what the psalmist is saying. I'm gonna remember what you did so I can have confidence in the future. I can have confidence in the present. So in order for us to have faith that I believe can squash our doubts or can at least curb our doubts, I would encourage you, resolve this year of 2018, and I think David did it in the welcome, to to make the Bible part of your time with God. Now, if you want to read through the Bible, I mean, that's wonderful, and I think we all should do that, you know, but I'm not necessarily challenging you to read through your Bible. I'm just challenging you to spend time in God's Word Every day. Make it part of that 15 minute chair time that you have where you read something from God's word and, and you just and you talk to God about what you what you read. Faith is what's going to stave off our doubts. I had lunch with someone this week who was sharing with me their own doubts. They were talking about their doubts. And I told them exactly what I said to you. I said, I don't believe that doubts are sin. I said, however, you cannot leave your doubts unaddressed. You have to address your doubts. So why are you doubting? 
What is it that you're doubting? What specifically are you doubting? Well, when you, when you recognize that, let the word of God speak into it. So if, figure out why are you doubting? What is it about, why are you doubting your faith now? What is it that's happening? And then let, let God speak into it through his word. Now, can I, I'm going to give a personal testimony here. And I've shared this with many of you, and I've probably shared it too often because you're going to get tired of hearing it. But I have learned so much this past year, and my faith has grown proportionately. And my wife tires of it, and she's constantly admonishing me, Jimmy, don't talk about all the stuff that's going on inside of you. And, and I appreciate that because I know you're going to say, oh, no, here comes Jimmy, and you're going to go like this because you don't want me to talk to you about all the things that God's doing in my heart. But here's what I want you to know. I have spent time in the Word of God like maybe in not in many years. And as I've done that, and, and again, I'm, not, I'm talking about men teaching me the Word of God. As I've done that, I feel like I've been empowered my doubts have been crushed. My faith has been increased. My, my, my personal walk with Jesus is better. And my love for Jesus is more. I want to challenge you all in 2018. Hold on to your faith and do so by letting the word of God speak into your life. Number three, reach out. Don't forget the premise this morning. The premise is this. Because Jesus did all of this, you do this. You do this. You draw near. You hold on. You reach out. Verse 24. Let us consider how, to, how we might spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up the meeting uh, together as, as is the habit of some. Excuse me. I'm trying to do it from memory. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I've got to tell you, that's, that's been one of my favorite passages of the Bible since I was a new believer. And I think it has been, not because I was always a pastor, not because I somehow want to manipulate you or, or to guilt you into being a part of God's people. No, it, it's because it always said to me, I'm responsible for you and you are responsible for me. And I've always loved that passage because it challenges me that I have an obligation to you as a child of God, as your brother, as, as your brother, and you have a responsibility to one another and you have a responsibility to me and to each other. That is to help one another press on regularly, to not fall away, to be encouraged. In the New Testament, we read, in the book of Acts, that they, they met weekly, they met weekly in the temple. But it also says, and they met from door to door. I mean, they met from house to house as the people of God. So here's my challenge to all of you this morning. You know, that house to house bit, why did they do that? Because that's where, that's where they did this encouraging thing. It wasn't in the big temple meeting. It was in, it was in the... Um, uh, it was in that house-to-house -house thing. In my estimation, you are dropping the relationship baton. You are dropping this reach-out baton if you yourself are not involved in a small group where you are doing relationship with other believers. So here's my challenge to you this morning. It's a twofold challenge. Number one, it's get involved in a group a Sunday school group. I would say get involved in a home group. If you don't like any of the home groups or Sunday schools we have, create your own group. And you might say, well, how can you, how can you say that? I can say that because I trust God in you. Create your own group. But listen, you have got to walk with other believers in relationship where you're encouraging them. There's 200 of us normally on a Sunday. You can't have a relationship with 200 people to amount to anything. 
You can have a relationship with a few of us, right? But you, you can know one another at 200. I, I'm assuming we're, we're probably at the verge where you know everybody, at least by name. David was telling us we don't know everybody by name, right? But, but you know what? You cannot do this thing of reaching out to encourage one another unless you're going to do life with other believers at some sort of level. And so I'm encouraging you, get involved with other believers at some sort of small group level. And the second thing is encourage Use your words, use your actions, use rebuke, be, be an encourager, be active. God never called you to be a, a soaker-upper, right? God called you to do what? A giver-outer. And I know I invented those words, but they definitely communicate, don't they? Number four, submit to verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think anyone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know Him, that is God, who says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, here's what the author of Hebrews says. Remember, he's writing to people who are going to abandon Jesus and they're going to go back to the first covenant. He says, you know, under the first covenant, people who left the first covenant under the witness of two or three, they were, they were killed as a judgment. He says, how much more do you think God is going to judge people who have once followed Jesus and now trample underfoot the covenant that God made through Jesus, his blood, and insult the spirit of God. How much more? If you think under the old covenant, people were judged by God, how much more will they be judged if they abandon Christ? And so here's this thing. He says, hey, submit to Christ. Don't, don't fall away. Submit yourselves to the gospel. Now, here's a statement. With the gospel comes greater light. Would you agree? That the gospel gives you a greater understanding, the gospel being that Jesus died for us, that he rose from the dead, that he bore in himself our sin. The gospel light comes, it makes it really, really clear, right? And so with the gospel comes greater light, but here's the deal. With the rejection of the gospel comes greater condemnation. I'll tell you that the gospel is very, very clear what God has done for us. The rejection of the gospel will bring greater condemnation. So if you'll allow me, though, I'd, I'd like to extend or expand this, this application. And the expansion goes like this, okay? The, the, the submitting to is submitting to the gospel. Don't fall away from the gospel, right? Hold on. Again, there's an awful lot of re repetition in this. You know, hold on to the gospel. Submit to Christ. Don't fall away. That's the point. But can I say this? Submitting to Christ, the gospel, means submitting to him in faith, but it also carries the idea of submitting to him in obedience. It carries the idea of following him. And I want to say this, again, uh, and you, some of you might disagree, but, but I believe that following, I mean, faith in Jesus and following Jesus are inextricably linked together. And you cannot have faith in Jesus that does not lead you to follow Jesus. And the person who says, I have faith, who doesn't follow, I think the book of James addresses that and says, you've deceived yourself. You're lying. There is no faith that does not follow Jesus. And, and so I'd like to ask you this morning, 
Those of you that say, hey, I have faith in Jesus, in what areas do you need to go back and re-examine as we begin this new year and say, where am I not submitting to Christ in obedience? Yeah, I have the faith, but where am I not, where am I trampling underfoot the sacrifice of Jesus and insulting the Spirit of God? Here's what I wrote down. Maybe it's your expectations. Surrender them to Jesus so you don't walk around seeking your own will. Maybe it's your emotional life. You need to trust and rest in the joy of the Lord. That's a constant struggle for me, to find joy in the Lord. But that's what we need to do. That's what it means to submit myself to Christ. Maybe it's your sexual desires. Die to pornography and promiscuity. Die to those things that you are engaging in. Maybe it's your food appetite. You know, and, and, and this, I stand as a testimony to this. Fight the gluttony that consumes your heart and explodes your body. Maybe it's materialism. Don't let your greed and your desire for things lead you to debt and strangle your generosity. Maybe it's your hedonism. You know what that is, your love of pleasure. Don't let your desire for comfort and pleasure kill your willingness to be selfless and missional. Now this morning, or excuse me, last night, as I was kind of reviewing my notes and just reading, I found an an article by, um, oh my goodness, I didn't write his name down. He's a pastor out in the Midwest. I know his name well, but it's not coming to me. But anyway, I copied his notes, and I want to read to you how it is that we can submit to Christ in these specific areas that, that maybe you're struggling to submit yourself to Christ, not in faith, but in obedience. So let me just, I want to read you these because they so they impacted me that I took out my notes and added them to my notes. So let me just read them. Here's what he says. Chuck Lawless. Yeah, thank you, Lord. That was his name, Chuck Lawless. So these are Chuck Lawless's thoughts. Be honest. Admit that sin controls you. Until we admit reality and take responsibility for it, we'll not find victory. Don't be afraid to confess your idolatry as that's what continual sin is. Man, that last line is so powerful. Continual sin in our lives where we don't deal with it is nothing more than idolatry. Number two, make sure the rest of your spiritual walk is in order. I know it sounds basic, but we can't separate victory from hearing God through his word and talking to him in prayer. It's hard to break sins of commission when we're committing sins of omission. I think the point there is have that 15 minutes of chair time where you draw near to God and you deal with your doubts and increase your faith through the word of God. Number three, decide in faith that 2018 will be different. If you've already decided that you're never going to overcome temptation, you can rest assured nothing is going to change. Faith must trust and believe in the God who changes us. Whatever's next. Number four, confess your sin to someone. This is where it gets the rubber meets the road. Confess your sins to someone that matters. Everyone matters, of course. But sometimes we limit our confession to someone who is losing the same battle or has no spiritual influence in our life. Talk to your pastor, your small group leader, your spouse. Talk to someone who matters, who has influence in your life and who's not fighting the same battle as you. Number five, can get somebody else to fight the battle beside you. If you're fighting your sin alone, you're not likely to win. God designed us to need other people. This kind of goes back to the reach out, I think. Like those who know our weaknesses love us anyway and hold us accountable. Pray every day. The next one, pray every day the way Jesus taught us to pray about temptation. Pray before we're tempted, not after we failed. In other words, begin every day praying, Lord, help me in this battle. If you pray about temptation only after you've lost the battle, you've missed the point of what Jesus said. Ask God to guard your heart from the enemy's arrows. 
Take any, next, take any and all needed steps to overcome the sin. Jesus was using hyperbole when he said, gouge out your eye and cut off your hand if necessary. But his point was clear. Half-hearted efforts to defeat sin won't work. And the last one he said was, or excuse me, the next to last, thank God for every moment of the day of victory. Rejoice as the Spirit empowers you to say no. Praise God each time you walk away from temptation. Worship him. And the final one, if you fail, don't settle in that sin. Confess it. Trust God to forgive you. Immediately get back on the path of obedience. Now, I know that's long, and I know you're like, too much material. But, but hopefully maybe you grab something. Submit. Submit to the Lord. Number five, I'm almost done. Just hang in there with me. Number five, remember back. Verse 32. Remember those early days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood by, beside, or stood by the side of those who were being so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, guys, remember, remember. Don't you remember when you began to follow Jesus? Do you remember what it cost you, how you were persecuted, how you were put in prison, how you had to stand beside your brothers and sisters that that was happening to? You let go of your property. People confiscated everything you had, and you did it with joy. You did it with joy because your mind and heart were set on all that God has promised for you. So here's what I want to say to all of us this morning. Remember, remember in 2018 all that God has for us in the future and remember how it was when you began to follow Jesus. I mean, this text this week led me back to think about the early days of following Jesus. Now, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't persecuted like these brothers and sisters were. And I wasn't persecuted like that. But I remember, I remember the passion with which I followed Jesus. I remember how I was, I took my whole album collection and destroyed it when I began to follow Jesus. I'm not saying that was a wise thing to do, but it was out of my zeal for God to do it. Man, my whole life was passionate. My, my resolve was strong. My excitement was, you know, unchecked. My purpose and my mission, they were as clear as anything. And I lived my entire life for Jesus. I'm serious. Everything about me was about, I want to live for Jesus. And I remember that. And I used to think the finish line's just around the corner because I was so passionate in following Jesus. But as I've gotten older and life has happened, it's become harder and it's easier to lose the passion and the excitement. It's easy to kind of settle in. I'm old. Everything starts to hurt. I don't, you know, I don't wake up with the energy that I used to wake up with. And it's really easy to just sort of float in life. And here's, here's, here's what he's saying. Remember, remember that passion, that, that how you were. Where it, you, it cost you everything. And you guys were sold out with joy. Constantly keeping your mind and heart set on what God has promised. And what has God promised to you? Do you know? God hasn't promised you a life of floating on a cloud one day, strumming a harp where you do nothing. That is not what God has promised you. God has promised you a world in which he reigns and you live. And all is joy. And there's no more sin, no more selfishness. And it is good. And I tell you, if you miss it, you're going to miss out you're going to miss out on the best that's ever been and the best that will ever be because that's where all of this is pointing, all of this is heading. And you're going to miss all of that if you don't remember back. 
As I read this, I thought of, of what Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in, in Revelation 2. You remember that passage? Oh, hey, guys, you, you, you fight for me. You, you work so hard for me. I really appreciate that. But I have this one thing against you. And you've lost your love for me. You've lost your love for me. So go back. Remember from where you've fallen and do the things you used to do. I believe that's what the, the author of Hebrews is telling us. Go back. So my challenge to you in 2018 is remember back. I mean, when you wake up in the morning and you have your chair time, spend some time reminiscing with God so that encouragement of the past will filter into the present and, and change your future as you follow Jesus. The last one, press forward. Press forward, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I, I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Verse 35, do not throw away your confidence. It'll be richly rewarded. But you need to persevere. And doing the will of God. Press forward. That's what the author of Hebrews is calling them to. Because Jesus has done all this for you, because Jesus has made a way through the curtain by his death, you, you press forward. Don't fall away. Don't shrink back. And what has he promised? I just told you. I mean, he's promised this, this world that we can't even begin to describe its beauty and its satisfaction of the soul, all that God has prepared for us. Verse 37 says, he says, um, the coming of this day is soon going to appear. Did you notice that? That's actually a quote. Verse 37, let me read the verse again. In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, and, but my righteous one will live by faith. That's actually, the first part of that's actually a quote from the, the prophet Habakkuk. And it's about the coming of the Messiah. And, and, and in the Greek, there's an emphatic here. Basically, the, the author of Hebrews is saying this. Shortly, very shortly, Messiah's coming. I don't, understand, I don't know about you, but understanding that's kind of hard. Because 2,000 years isn't shortly. You feel that way? I kind of feel that way. 2,000 years isn't shortly, very shortly. And so I asked myself, okay, what does, what does the author mean? What did he mean? And I don't know that I have it right, but I have two suggestions for you. One is the author could have meant, not like you and I understand shortly, but as God would understand shortly. You know, God says in eternity, a thousand years is his day for me. So he could be saying that from God's perspective, shortly, very shortly, Messiah is coming back. So it could be from God's perspective. That may be what he means. But as, as I thought about it and, and, and meditated on it and contemplated it, I, I think there's another possibility, and it's this. Shortly, very shortly, Messiah is coming, but not in his second coming. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. You're going to see him very, very shortly. Or you're, going to, you're going to experience that death that leads to him very, very shortly. Earlier in Hebrews, the author says, it's appointed for man once to die, and then, and then the judgment comes. And in James, remember James says that our life is but a vapor. It's but a puff of smoke and, and it's gone. And there's not a person here who's over 60 that doesn't understand that. Not a person here who's over 60 that doesn't understand that your life is but a puff of smoke. I was talking to a friend the other night who uh, is 80, but I won't tell you who he is. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and my friend said to me, he said... 
where did it go? Where did it go? And he's looking at his family. Look what God's done. But where did my life go? And I'll tell you what, uh, he's, he's a little bit older than me. He could actually be my daddy. And uh, he's older than me. And I'm, I'm already feeling that, Siggy. I already know that truth. Where did it go? And you that are young, you don't get it. I know you want to get it. You think you get it, but you don't really get it. Your whole life's in front of you. And so the idea of it going by quickly, it's just it's probably not hit you yet. But the older you get, you're going to wake up one day and you're going to say, where did it go? It was so quick. Your life is but a puff, but a, but a, a vapor. And you're going to die. I think, the author, I think the author of Hebrews is saying, in just a short amount of time, you'll have to answer to Messiah. That's a short amount of time. It's coming quickly. Verse 39, he says, you fall away to your own destruction. Do you see that in verse 39? Let me go back and find it. He says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. If you shrink back, you shrink back to your own destruction. If you fall back from your faith in Jesus, you do so to your own destruction. And I know that we as Baptists have a doctrinal distinctive that says, once having saved us, God's going to do what's necessary to keep me. And I believe that. But you know what? As far as it applies to any of us in this room, the ones that he keeps are the ones that remain. Here's my point. I mean, there, there, you must persevere. You must not shrink back. It is a real admonition. Do not shrink back from following Jesus. Do not shrink back, but press on and carry on. Press on in faith in the Lord Jesus. And I love how he ends this in verse 39. He says, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. He says the same thing in Hebrews chapter 6, this author does. He says, those who have tasted of the good things and then fall away, he says, you know, they can't be recovered. But then he, in verse 9, he says, but that's not us. We're the guys who are going to press on and carry on. And that's what he's saying here. He says, we're not the guys who are going to shrink back and fall away. We're the guys who are going to carry on. So in 2018, I want to challenge you, be the men and women who press forward with the Lord Jesus. Don't shrink back from your faith. Encourage your faith. Strengthen your faith. Live all out for the Lord Jesus in this next year. I mean, give your all to the Lord in 2018. What a great way to start the new year, right? Drawing near, holding on, reaching out, submitting to, remembering back, and pressing forward. That's God's challenge for you and me. It's God's challenge for BCBC. It's God's challenge for y'all's church, Randy. Any other church represented here, it's God's challenge for your church. Let's, let's be that kind of people. Now, before I end, I want to say this. I want, to, I want to admonish you in this. 2018 is a great time for you to put your faith in Jesus. And I'm not so naive as to think that everybody in here is a follower of Jesus. Some of you have been playing games with Jesus. Some of you are on the outskirts, just kind of on the outskirts of the camp looking in. And I want to invite you today, on the last day of 2017, on the doorstep of 2018, to put your faith in Christ right now. To stop playing games with the Lord and give your heart, give your life to the Lord Jesus. You've just listened to what the author of Hebrews challenged those Jewish Christians who were considering turning their backs on Jesus and going back to the old covenant. You heard what he said to them. Now, you know, I, I know you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but I tell you what, you've got to turn your back on whatever's over here anyway. 
You got to turn your back on, on, on all of that and put your faith in Jesus. So this morning, I invite you, put your faith in the Lord Jesus. Let's bow our heads and hearts for just a moment. And this is your opportunity to talk to God. This is your opportunity to wish one-on-one with God. Remember, he, uh, he says, draw near to me. I'm draw- I've done everything necessary. I'm drawing near to you. Now it's you. Draw near to me. So draw near to God right now in this moment. And uh, for those of you that need to put your faith in Jesus, won't you put your faith in my Savior? He will not let you down. He will save you forevermore. And he will save you for, for life everlasting. Death, death no longer will hold you. You will rise from the dead. And I invite you this morning, put your faith in Jesus. What are you waiting for? Today's the day. You say, I don't know how, Jimmy. Well, it's, it's so simple. In your heart, say, Lord, I believe and I want to follow Jesus. Just tell him in your heart right now. Do me a favor. If you decide to follow Jesus, if this morning is the morning when you put your faith in Christ, when you decide you'll follow the one who died and lives for you, if you'll follow him, let me know. Let me know. Tell me. Now, for the rest of us who are already following Jesus, 2018 is a great day for us to listen to the Spirit of God, listen to the author of Hebrews. What is it that spoke to me? What is it this morning that I need to kind of reaffirm in my heart? What does I need to say, Lord, let me walk in this in 2018? What is it that God is speaking to your heart about? And just get right there, in the, and I'm going to be quiet. You, just for a minute or two, you talk to God and do business with God. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web at www.baconscastle.com.